Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. doing well welcome back to a brand new edition of the ariel helwani basketball show i of course am ariel helwani and thank you so much to everyone who checked out our first two episodes that dropped in week one last week rv Ariton on willis reed the late great willis reed and of course coach mike brown on the surprising sacramento kings the feedback has been great i appreciate everyone who sent us some some lovely lovely messages i appreciate everyone who downloaded rated, reviewed, followed, all those things and more, commented. It meant a lot. We appreciate your support very much, and we hope that we can keep it rolling here. And I'm very excited about today's guest. He is my favorite basketball pundit. I love him because he tells it like it is. He's a straight shooter, and he's been covering the league for almost three decades. I I first learned about him when he was a New York Knicks beat writer for the Daily News in New York. Uh, He also wrote a book with Mike Wise about the 1999 New York Knicks, a Cinderella team, one of my favorite teams, entitled Just Ballin. His name is Frank Isola. He's been around the league for so many years. And these days, he is hosting on SiriusXM NBA Radio alongside Brian Scalabrini, a great morning show that airs every Monday through Friday called The Starting Lineup. They do a fantastic job covering the league each and every day. He's also on the Nets Yes broadcast as a studio analyst. He's also on PTI and Around the Horn. He's also written for all the major papers in New York and The Athletic most recently. And just last year came out with another great book entitled The Last Enforcer. He wrote that with Charles Oakley. It's a book about Charles Oakley's great career. Um, Frank Isola is great. He tells it like it is. He's the man. And I enjoy his takes on the league. And so we uh, we talked a little bit about uh, NBA media covering the league, his career, but also a lot about the current product and all the stuff going on as we approach the playoffs. There's a lot of exciting topics to discuss from the MVP race uh, to you know stuff going on all over the league with uh, superstars like Damian Lillard and, and, and Jalen Brown and Kyrie Irving, the Nets, the Knicks, all that and more, even a little David Stern. Uh, stories from back in the day. So sit back and relax. This is a great conversation with one of the best minds in basketball, the one and only Frank Isola. Enjoy. All right. This is a very exciting one for me, my friends, because when we launched this program at the very top of my wish list was this guest because, dare I say, he is my favorite basketball pundit out there. Love the takes, love the shows that he's a part of. And I listen to him every single morning, Monday through Friday, as I'm driving my kids to school and coming back. It's uh, Sirius XM NBA Radio, the starting lineup. He hosts it alongside the great Brian Scalabrini. Also watch him on the Nets Yes broadcast. Have read both of his books, Just Ballin' back in uh, the late 90s about the 1999 New York Knicks. What a great team that was. And of course, last year's bestseller, 
The Last Enforcer <laughs> with the one and only Charles Oakley, which I loved oh so dearly. Also, he's been around the New York City scene for many, many years, writing for the Daily News, the New York Post. Also recently, The Athletic, you can see him on PTI, Around the Horn. The guy has more jobs than me. It's unbelievable. He's the one and only Frank Isola. Hello, Frank. How are you? Ariel, it's a pleasure to be here. You're a big time star. I still remember the first time I saw Ariel. I watched him on the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30. I thought you did a really good job. You got the unique look. And one day I'm in New York City in Times Square, and lo and behold, there's 9 million tourists and one big time celebrity there, and it's Ariel. So I had to stop. I had to wait for him to wrap up his work. You know, I think he was yelling at some assistants, the water's not cold enough. It was something crazy like that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And I waited for him and I wanted to introduce myself because I told him I thought he did a really good job on that documentary. And I enjoyed the documentary. And just a couple of weeks ago, I watched it. It just happened to be on. And I saw it because I guess the NCAA tournament and everything like that. So I was a huge fan right from the start. Before I even knew who the heck you were, I was a fan because I thought you came across really well in the documentary. You know how to do TV, you big star, you. Well, I appreciate that. And when you recognized me, I was blown away because, of course, I've been reading you for many years as a longtime Knicks fan. So it was a very nice moment. And we've become the best of friends ever since. Every time I come on your program, the starting lineup, the bosses tell me I pop the ratings. And so I thought maybe you can uh, return the favor here. It was nice to have to go through three layers of PR just to get you on the program here. But I'm, I'm glad that we figured it out. This is so great. Thank you for doing it. You know, it's funny with like, I'm, I'm a bit of a wise guy. And on text messages, you never know how it comes across. So Ariel had asked me to come on. And then he texted me, could I come on? And I was busy. And I all of a sudden, I, oh, I forgot to respond to him. So I just wrote, sure. And yeah, of course, was... your immediate response, which is what I would respond, because I'm so damn insecure, would be, well, I guess you're really excited. To yes. Come I was like, wow, no exclamation was, point, no nothing. Uh, it was, yeah. it, your response was exactly, in fact, a w- months after the show, if that were me, I would one day think about it. Man, remember the day I asked him to come on my podcast and his response was sure. I guess he really didn't want to come on. So I apologize for that. I was definitely uh, excited to do it. I am excited to do it, I should say. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Um, I want to ask you this, Frank. You've been covering the NBA for a very long time. Top of your head, what, like 25 years? Yeah, 20, 20, yeah maybe even longer than that. 26 years. 26 years. And of course, now you're hosting this great show every single day, Monday through Friday. And this is actually something that I often wonder about, because I don't do Monday through Friday even, covering yeah. you know my main beat, um, combat sports. Is there ever a period like December, November, January, where you're like... I don't really want to do this. I don't, this is too much. Like now it's fun, right? We're end of March, April, playoffs are about to start. But is it ever like a grind where you're just like, I'm not really feeling this. This is too much basketball in my life. You you know what? The one thing about the NBA, and I I always think about this with the NFL, you do an NFL show, certainly Monday, there's a lot to talk about. I guess they do play games Thursday night, so Friday you could talk about it, but there's not the same storylines. And even covering when I covered the Knicks for the longest time, and back then there were only maybe 13 guys on the team, they would carry one guy on the injured list. Now you're allowed to carry 15. But I always felt like there was something to write about because you always had the coach who was interesting. You had the star player who was interesting, and you could always find four or five guys. So a lot of times you were writing about maybe the same six people, but it always seemed to be interesting. And with the NBA, there's always drama. Now there's more drama than ever. So for radio, it certainly lends itself to radio. I don't know how guys would do an NHL show. I like I like hockey. I think maybe doing an NHL show because they don't generate the same amount of drama. I think baseball is probably that way. I think the NFL, I think soccer, you could probably do it because there's, a, there's so many teams. 
over the over the globe that you could find something interesting to talk about. But the NBA never disappoints. In fact, Ariel, Brian and I talk about it all the time. Sometimes the best shows that we feel like we do are in the summer where we're mm. kind of creating our own content. And we're not doing, you know, what's your favorite ice cream, you know, you know, mint chocolate chip. We're still doing NBA stuff. The NBA has become a 365 day a year sport and it somehow carries us through and believe it or not it never gets boring getting up early in the morning gets a little tiring but in terms of doing the show never so you're no longer a beat writer you were a beat writer for many many years around like two or so decades do you think you would like you were you know starting out now mid to late 20s do you think you would have enjoyed being a beat writer in 2023 given how the sport is the access the relationship with the players the way the players are do you think you would have enjoyed it as much as you did when you started your career I'm not. I'm not sh- uh, sure that would have been the case, especially when I covered it. Newspapers were a much bigger deal, so to get the you know to get asked on you know um, thanks the night the day before Thanksgiving, I got to get to Cleveland because I got to go cover the New York Knicks, and it looks like I'm going to be thrown on the beat. You know, you're the Nick beat writer for the New York Daily News. That's a big thing, and you walk in a locker room, and Patrick Ewing is there, and Charles Oakley is there, Derek Harper is there, guys that have been in the finals before, and you're walking in there. It was very intimidating. But it was all, I mean, I felt like you probably had a little bit more power. Maybe social media has taken some of that away. I give the players credit for this. They have a way now to talk directly to the fans. They also have a way to shoot down stories. We've seen LeBron do it, where guys have written stories about him. He shoots the story down, and most people hate the media, so they want to see a story. They want to make the, they want to see the reporter look bad. I think the access has taken probably some of the fun away from the job, and maybe people don't read newspapers as much as they once did. I also think... I don't think the reporters, especially with the NBA, are as critical as they used to be. And by critical, I don't mean writing that a guy's terrible or fire the coach. There's no more cr- critical analysis. Where with Patrick Ewing, he was an unbelievable player to cover. But when Patrick had a couple of rough games, you know, we would be tough on him. But when he had a great game, we would praise him. I think in today's media, it's almost you either have to be for a guy 100% of the time or you have to be against him 100% of the time, which maybe is the talk show part of it that lends itself. We weren't like that when we first got on the beat. By the way, did you know uh, that the great Harvey Ayrton, who was one of our first guests last week, also got his first break as a New York beat writer in Cleveland? They called him and they told him to go to Cleveland. It's almost the exact same story as you. Did you know that? No, I no. Well, he we had him on radio last week because we did a story on you know we obviously we talked about Willis Reed and Harvey had done the obituary. So I'm I'm sure he told you the great story about criticizing Willis Reed. Yes, and there he is sitting there. At the bar. When when I covered it in Cleveland, it was the night before Thanksgiving. And then on Friday, I went to the practice. And after the practice, Derek Harper, now they were going to play the Houston Rockets on Saturday. And that's the Houston Rockets with Akeem Olajuwon. The Rockets coming off their second straight championship. And Derek Harper was guaranteeing a championship. So I wrote that as my story. So one of my first stories was Derek Harper on the back page of the Daily News guaranteeing a championship against the Houston Rockets. I'm sorry, guaranteeing a win against the Houston Rockets on a Saturday afternoon game. So the Saturday afternoon game happens. And back then we used to sit courtside, which was a great way to cover the game. Because as you know, Ariel, you could add a lot more color to your story. You overhear Mm. things. We used to sit right near the visiting team bench, which was a great place to sit. And Akeem Olajuwon ended up getting ejected from that game. And my guy, Derek Harper, ended up being 100% right. That was the year that the Bulls won the 72 games. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was the year that Jeff Van Gundy took over for Don Nelson. I still remember being in Philadelphia. The, the news broke. You know, this is before the internet. The news broke. Uh, Don Nelson is out. Jeff Van Gundy's the coach. We went to the hotel room 
And we knocked on Jeff's hotel room door at the Ritz-Carlton. We found out what room he was staying in. Jeff opened the door. It was myself, Mike Wise, who was working for the Times. Uh, Tom Hill was working for the New York Post. And we sat there in Jeff's room. We were interviewing Jeff at the time. What would he have been? Uh, 31 years old, 32 years old. And and the whole time I'm thinking, this guy's going to be coaching the Knicks. How crazy of a story is this? An unbelievable story. I remember that day very, very well as a fan. And and also as a fan, you know, those Knicks teams were my favorite favorite sports team of all time. They just meant a lot to me. There was something though mysterious about them and, and something a little bit mysterious about Patrick as well. Like the only time I would hear him speak, he's wearing that blue, you know, bathrobe in yeah, the in the locker Terry room. Cloth. Yeah, the the uh the MSG post game show. That was pretty much it. Now, as you mentioned, Twitter, some guys have their own shows, podcasts, this and that. Do you feel as though that sort of, that mysteriousness, like that layer between the fans and the audience, it's gone, or the players, I should say, it's gone, and that's actually a bad thing? Like, I almost feel like there's too much of the players, like there's not enough of a divide, or do you like it more because we get to hear their thoughts unfiltered? Yeah, and and I still think, I I think that's why it would be different, just a different way to do the job, because it's hard, because the players do have a lot of access directly to the fans and Patrick was you're right he was in a way mysterious you know he would talk maybe once a week at practice you know we'd be up there at purchase that's before they built their facility we'd have to chase him out and he you know he was always very nice to us but he just didn't want to talk but when he did talk it was kind of an event and I remember thinking back then because I remember when Barkley was in the league and you'd go to the visiting team locker room and the beat writer, whether it was Flan, uh, Fran Blindberry or Eddie Sefko, they'd be sitting right next to Charles Barkley because you'd have to sit there because Barkley was going to talk the whole time and every day he was going to generate a story. I kind of liked the fact that as the longer I was on the beat, I didn't have to worry about Patrick. And I also knew that after a game, I could walk up to Patrick after he was done showering and maybe ask him a question. I'll give you an example. Uh, they were in the playoffs, and the story had come out. This was in 99 as the Knicks were making their run to the finals. And I believe it was a second-round series against Atlanta. They had already beaten Miami in the first round. And the story had, had come out. Mike Wise had written the story that Don, uh, that Dave Checkets, then the president of the guard, had met with Phil Jackson. And this was – it wasn't – they had not given Jeff an extension yet or anything like that. And after a game – Patrick had taken a shower. Everyone had left the locker room. And I said uh, to Patrick, I said, hey, you heard the story about Phil Jackson? He said, what story? I said, well, it looks like, um, you know, Dave had met with him and there's a chance he could become coach. And Patrick just paused and he said, tell Phil Jackson to take his ass back to Chicago. Now, maybe today you tweet that right away. But I, you know, I held on to it. I actually wrote it as my off day story. Which wow. you know, ended up being a huge story. Here's Patrick Ewing, and Jeff will tell you how important it was. And Jeff and Patrick were extremely tight. But to have the star player on the team basically saying, you know, tell Phil Jackson to take his ass back to Chicago, we already have a coach, was a big thing. Because I don't know if you remember during that playoff series, the Knicks in 99, the Knicks won a game five in Miami, obviously the famous Allen Houston game. They had a day off, and then they played Atlanta game one. That's when the playoffs were insane, especially it was much more condensed season. They go down Atlanta. As you know, there's so many transplanted New Yorkers down there. Maybe half of them are in the witness protection program. They all show up, and it's at the Georgia Dome, which I thought, actually thought was a pretty cool yeah. place. And there had to have been 30,000 people there, and I think 20,000 were rooting for the Knicks. That's when Camby had the great dunk over to Kemba Matumbo. So by the time the Knicks came back, the Knicks came back to the Garden, Ariel, and they played a Saturday, Sunday. You know, NBC was looking to milk having the Knicks on national TV. They come they come back on a Saturday. 
And the Knicks are going to win, winning the game. So remember now, they've won a game five on the road. The fans haven't seen them yet. They won a game one and game two. The fans haven't seen them yet. They come to go, the garden for game three. The place, the roof is about to explode. And the fans start chanting Jeff's name. And they have the camera on Jeff's wife, Kim, and she's crying. It was a pretty intense time. So that was the first time back at the garden since they won a playoff series. And now they're up two games to O. The news comes out about the Knicks, you know, flirting with Phil Jackson. And now the Knicks are pounding the Atlanta Hawks and the crowd is chanting Jeff's name. It was a pretty intense and emotional scene. You're giving me chills um, in large part because one of those fans was me. I was at that game. <laughs> really? I flew from Montreal to go to game three. Look at you. And uh, I was there and I got a, a fist bump from Stuart Scott afterwards. I didn't wash my hand That's for a awesome. week. It was very exciting. <laughs> yes, I was one of those people. Chris Dudley, I believe, had a big game uh, that day. It might have been game three or four, but I, I feel like Dudley had a big one in, uh, in, in game three. Um, as far as today's NBA and the season is about to wrap up, your favorite story of the season, what has it been? I think the um, the Sacramento Kings are obviously uh, one of the better stories. Just that you know they haven't <clears throat> look at all the coaches they've had since they've last made the playoffs. And I was there for their last big game when they played the Lakers in that Game Seven, you know, at Arco Arena, which is the Cameron. It was the Cameron Indoor Stadium of the NBA, and that's when Stojakovic had that corner three right at the end of regulation. He hits it, and it's going to be Sacramento against the New Jersey Nets in the finals. He misses it. The Lakers do what the Lakers do. They hang on, they win in overtime, they go on to win the championship. So that has certainly been one, one of the better stories. I also think, you know, this race between Jokic and Embiid, which everyone's talking about, and you know this, Ariel, we joke about it. The NBA is the one sport where people have the MVP conversation at halftime of the first game of the season. Right. And we start like debating who perhaps uh, could win it. And I think the Jokic story is good. You know, LeBron break, breaking the record, was something that people were following. But I think the Western Conference being wide open, because you know you can make a case for any number of teams, whether or not they're going to make their way out of the Western Conference. And that that's that's been a lot of fun this season as well. Why do you think the MVP debate means so much in basketball and NFL, hockey? It's just not nowhere near the same. I don't get it. I think maybe part of it is that years ago when they, you know, with Michael Jordan, they started to build the league around stars and it was the Celtics was Larry Bird and the Lakers were magic. Detroit was Isaiah Thomas and along comes Michael Jordan. It's Michael Jordan. And it really, you know, Reggie Miller with the Indiana Pacers, Ewing with the Knicks. Maybe that has something to do with it. Cause you're right. Because when you think of Tom Brady, you think about how many Super Bowls he's won. I didn't realize that he's won as few MVPs as he did because we don't define NFL players by MVPs, especially in you know, offense, defense, it's two different things. But in the NBA, it's 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 such a big deal. I mean, think about it. You have even the players talking about it. Embiid has addressed it. Jokic has addressed it to the point where you could tell he's sick of it, and he feels like he's been put in almost this debate about you know him winning a third one. Michael Malone talked about how ugly the debate has gotten. It really doesn't happen in the other sport. It's just part of the NBA drama. Look at Embiid addressing it, saying, you know, I don't get it. You know, people just don't like me. Come on, Ariel. People don't like Joel Embiid. You love him as a player. He's got a great personality. He's got a great look about him. People don't name me people that don't like Joel Embiid. I find that hard to believe. Do you have a vote? I do. Am I, I allowed to ask you? Who I'm you voting vote? for Jalen Brunson because I love him. I know the My family. Guy. I love the kids. So I'm uh, yes. be completely by. I'm either voting for Jokic as of right this minute. There's yeah. still, you know, seven, eight games to go. 
I think it's going to be either Jokic or um, Embiid. And I love Giannis. If you're asking me who's my favorite player in the league, I love Giannis. So if I was going to be biased, I'd vote for him. My guy Giannis has 59 games that he's played in. I can't, I can't vote for a guy that's not going to play in at least 65. And last year, I voted Giannis third. I had Jokic first and Embiid second and Giannis third. It's going to be either Jokic or Embiid. And I'm going to wait until the last game of the season before I decide who it's going to be. So it really – like. You are legit, like right now. You don't have a pick. Like the the next handful of games, the last handful of games. Well, to we'll me, it's it. close, and I kind of felt like Embiid probably took the, a lead over Embiid over the past couple of weeks. But now they've dropped three straight. He didn't play last night. I'm I'm willing to wait until the end of the season and look at all the numbers. I mean, Embiid. You know, the the team's in third. They could drop to fourth. You know, now I get it. Jokic won last year in six, but he didn't have. Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray. I, th- I think it's that close. I feel right this minute, I'm probably leaning a little bit more toward Embiid, but uh, we'll see on that last day. Honestly, uh, my feeling is I'd love to get your thoughts. If Jokic wasn't you know, a previous winner, he's winning this easily. Yeah, and you know, back when I was on the beat, the way they did it in the NBA was because there's so many of the writers in New York, they would split the votes. So I might get one year, coach of the year, six man and rookie of the year and another guy two other guys would get mvp so it used to be we didn't get all the votes when i'm voting now i'm getting every vote so back in the day when carmelone won it like i always felt and i it was nice for carmelone to win the year that michael jordan's in the league but that felt like everyone was saying well come on let's give carmelone he's you know a lifetime achievement award i didn't really look at it like that and the year that steve nash won his second one I believe I did have a vote, and I'm pretty sure I voted for Kobe Bryant. If it wasn't Kobe, it was Shaq. It was one of the other I remember voting for that year. So I'm not, I don't get wrapped up in that whole um, lifetime achievement or if Jokic is good enough to win three, he should win three. But when Michael Jordan was in the league, I felt like Mike and Michael was playing all the time, Ariel. It wasn't like mm-hmm. Michael didn't win in 98 and he played 65 games. My man was out there for all 82. So I looked at it, come on, I'm not giving it to Michael Jordan. I find that hard to believe. Uh, you mentioned the Kings, just going back to them for a moment. Uh, looks like they're going to end up third seed. What yeah. a story it would be if they play the Warriors in the first round, considering Mike Brown was assistant coach and, and did such a good job for them as a head coach um, when he had to replace Steve Kerr. Are they for real, in your opinion, or are they the type of team that it's a great story, they're going to make it to the first round, fizzle out potentially, or at best, you know, make it to the second and that's And maybe that's good enough. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And I, and I think that's kind of true of all the teams. I even think Denver could be in a really tough, you know, dogfight their first round series. The one thing with about Sacramento is defensively, they're not that great, but Sabonis has been an unbelievable player. And it's one of those rare trades, Sabonis for Tyrese Halliburton, where it's actually helped out both teams. And I would even say Sabonis is going to get MVP votes. Remember, you could vote for five guys. So I think on a lot of ballots, he might end up either fourth or fifth with the way that he's played this year. And De'Aaron Fox is incredible as well. And I love what they did with Kevin Herter. They've done an unbelievable job putting the team together. But I think you're right. That story can end pretty quickly. But their fans are passionate, man. You go there for a play. Now, this is going to be – it's a different building. It's a right. you know brand-new place. It looks great. But their fans are – they're as loud and as raucous as you can get. I remember going there. That's when the fans would hold the uh, cowbells behind the bench because Phil Jackson had called it a cow town. And then Phil had the earplugs in. Yeah. It got it was it was so loud. Like you talk about having chills. Like you, you would get worked up just covering it because it it was so loud and intense and so emotional. That had a lot to do with the fans. So they'll have a big time advantage in terms of their crowd when the playoffs start. 
least favorite story of the season? The one that you're like, God, I want this one to die. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to talk about this. Well, I think, you know, the one that was troublesome is certainly the John Morant one because he's such a great player. And go back to last year and everyone kind of fell in love. One of the things that we loved about Memphis, we're starting to be a little tired of. You like the fact that they played with the chip on their shoulder. They were physical. They were aggressive. They were kind of chatty. I didn't like the fact that Gary Payton II got injured last year in the playoffs. And I like Dylan Brooks. The first time I ever saw Dylan Brooks play in person was against the Knicks. He got into it with Courtney Lee. I'm like, look at this guy, man. He don't back down from anybody. I think he's gone a little overboard. And I think a little bit has become part of his act now. And it's a little bit of shtick. You know, you had the thing that happened with Shannon Sharp in LA. But the thing with John Moran, it's it's a troubling story because, you know, the Washington Post wrote about what happened to him over the summer with the, you know, beating up the 17-year-old. And then there was the incident at the mall. And then I think one of the most underplayed stories of the NBA season is what happened on the loading dock. We really still haven't gotten to the bottom of that. You know, the security guard of the Indiana Pacers said it was 100% a gun. You had the league did its own investigation. They said they cannot find anyone to corroborate that. That's a that's a scary situation. He's out there with his friends on the loading dock. The NBA did acknowledge that there was some type of verbal confrontation, altercation with people of the Indiana Pacers traveling party. I believe that happened on January 29th. I thought that that story went away way too quickly. I was surprised that more people didn't try to follow it up. And remember, that happened in January. The thing that happened in Canada, or I'm sorry, in Denver, was a few weeks later, maybe three weeks later. So it seemed like that should have been addressed. Maybe if, if action had been taken after what happened on January 29th, maybe the thing that happened in Denver never would have happened. Do you think he gets back on track? I mean, he, he looked like a superstar last year and earlier this yeah. year and, and like one of the faces of, of the league, so popular with kids. You've seen these stories before. Do you think he has it in him and the right people around him to get back on track? I, I, I hope he does because he's, you know, he's going to be blowing it if he if he doesn't do it. I went back and look, you know, when Gilbert Arenas and that situation with Javaris Crittenton happened and they had guns in the locker room, you know, he was immediately suspended by David Stern indefinitely. And then I think it was two weeks later, he was suspended for the rest of the season. So I think John Morant's in a situation where he should consider himself lucky and realize, you know, this he's got an unbelievable opportunity in terms of his playing career, financially for his family, for the, you know, generational wealth, as everyone always loves to talk about. He's And, you know, they have a chance to be a terrific team because that's a passionate fan base. They get, they're into that team. It's the only professional sports team down there. I hope he's learned his lesson for him because you know, he's going to run out of chances. There's been too many times where you've read about him and somehow a gun is involved. That's It's scary. And I hope he does realize uh, that you know, he's got an incredible opportunity for himself, his team, his family. Don't blow it by uh, doing something crazy off the court. I thought maybe you were going to say, because you're so close to it. I mean, I, I know you're not a beat writer anymore, but you're like one step removed with the Nets, right? You do the, you know, the the, the post game show, pretty yes, uh, halftime, all that stuff. You do a great job. And I love the fact that they have you in there. Honestly, I kind of love the fact that they have you in there with no ex-player, because I feel like you just tell it like it is. I mean, it's crazy to think Steve Nash was the coach at the beginning of the yeah. year. Like, so much has happened with KD and Kyrie. In the midst of all that madness with Kyrie, how difficult was it for you if at all, to tell it like it is when you're working for the broadcast partner, right? Like, were there ever any restrictions on you? Not at all. Never really? once did they say anything to me. Never once, which is why I enjoy working there. And, you know, I there were times um, when Kyrie, they made the trade for James Harden, if you remember, and it was Kyrie kind of went away from the team for a while. Mm. And then the league ended up suspending him because he was um, seen at a birthday party for his sister right up the road in uh, West Orange, right near where he lives 
or what or did live. And when he came back, he started talking about the team. He's talking about leadership and everyone being on the same page. And I, so when we showed, we were showing the clip and I said, I can comment on this. And they said, sure, go ahead. And afterwards, I, you know, I ripped into him pretty good. I said, you know, well, Kyrie, you're saying this, but we don't know if you're all the way in. If you, you know, leadership isn't just talking about it, it's actually doing it. And where have you been the last two weeks? So they were, they never once said to me, oh, be careful. Don't uh, talk about Kyrie like that. And I felt like when he played well, and by the way, during the 18-2 run that they went on, which was the greatest 20-game stretch in the history of the franchise, he was phenomenal. And I even talked about on the radio show with Brian Scalabrino, where I said, how great is it that we're just talking about Kyrie as a basketball player? And he just feels like he's one of those guys. Everything was going too smoothly. And I get it. Money plays into it. And then all of a sudden he went to the Nets. Where's my money? I played great for 20 games. Pay me. And the Nets said, well, there has to be restrictions. And he said, trade me. And then what happens to me? He ends up going to a team he didn't want to go to, nor did he get the money that he wanted. So I kind of felt like he blew that. But getting back to your original point, he was fascinating to cover because you never knew, you know, he's very unpredictable, but the Yes Network was great with me. They, they never said one thing. Now, who knows? Maybe that after the season, they'll say, get the heck out. But they've never called me up and said, whoa, whoa, you crossed the line. Or don't say that about Kyrie or Kevin Durant. Never once did they say that. How much is Kyrie to blame for what's happening in Dallas right now? I, I mean, I think it, the, there's a lot of blame to go around, but weren't they in fourth place before he got there? And it's it's just a bad fit. He's a ball-dominant guard, and Luka Doncic, in order to be successful, needs the ball. Kevin Durant is a great superstar to play with because Kevin Durant could play with anybody. You put him on any team in the league, and he'll adjust, and he'll still be great. Luka has to have the ball, and Kyrie has to have the ball. So he's got to take some of the fall there. I don't think there's any question, but that's a Mark Cuban situation. That's front office. That's coaching. That's roster construction. Let's face it. The biggest thing that's happened to the Knicks this year, besides Julius Randle having a resurgent year after a down year, is Jalen Brunson. And the Dallas Mavericks could have gotten him for $55 million. They could have gotten him twice for $55 million. And even if you didn't like the guy, sign him. He's an asset and then trade him off if you don't think he's any good. Instead, he walks to the Knicks for nothing. You don't get anything back. Now your team's falling apart. You take Kyrie, so you trade Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith. So in a lot of ways, if you think about it, it's Jalen Brunson, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Spencer Dinwiddie for Kyrie Irving, who looks like he's going to be a rental. Even if you're the Charlotte Hornets, even if you're you know, the Portland Trailblazers, why would any team sign Kyrie Irving? At, at this point, I feel like he's untouchable. Am I, I crazy? Think, I think on one year, I would take him. I just wouldn't sign him to a long-term deal. And then people will say, well, look at what this player is making. Look at what they, and he's better than them. You're a hundred percent right about that. I just can't trust him to play. And with Kyrie, you know, you could sit there. I don't care what your stat, what your stance is on the vaccination. You don't want to get it. You do want to get it. That's you do whatever you want to do. I never judge Kyrie on that, but I said with Kyrie, it's always something. And that always something leads to not playing in games what he's paid to do. Look at his time in Brooklyn. He wasn't available for the playoffs the first year because of the uh, shoulder injury he had. Unfortunately, the next year he got hurt in the playoffs against uh, Milwaukee, but there was, that it, there was time that he missed away from the team. With Kyrie, unfortunately, there's always something, and he's missing games too many times. I don't trust him on a four-year deal. For one year, absolutely. Pay him $50 million for one year. And knowing that he's going to be playing for another contract, he'll be great. He's been great. This when he was in Brooklyn, he was great this season. But now I'm not you you I agree with you. I'm not giving him four years, two hundred million. I can't do it. It's not that he's not good enough. He just doesn't play enough. No chance he goes back to Dallas, right? I I I don't I don't think he would. 
I think somehow, some way, he ends up in either L.A. with LeBron or, you know, don't ever rule out Pat Riley. I don't know how they could get him, but Pat Riley is is always wants to win a championship, and he's probably thinking, I can take Kyrie for one year. Uh, poor Doncic looks depressed up there at the at the press conference. I, I, I legit feel bad for him. I love watching him play. Going back to the Nets, who you know so well, uh, this squad right now reminds me a little bit of the one a couple of years ago, like they were the little engine that could, right? Yeah. With like D'Angelo Russell and Joe Harris, et cetera. Are you at all surprised that they're more likable, fun to watch, like that they're actually doing well? Like as of right this second, they don't have to take part in the play-in tournament. And I yeah. think a lot of people thought they would go all the way down to 11, potentially after the trade or the trades. Your take on how they've looked since the trades. Yeah. Well, and that's why, you know, when you make a trade for Kevin Durant, you're not going to get equal value player-wise, but they did get two serviceable, play- ser- serviceable players in Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson, plus they have the assets. So they're in a position now where over the summer, they could still make some kind of move. Maybe it'll be Damian Lillard. I'm sure they'd love to have him. But either the front office did a good job in terms of, uh, you know, if Kevin Durant didn't want to be there and they're going to trade him, they got back players that could help him because they haven't fallen out of it. And let's face it, the one thing about Kevin Durant, he, and you're never going to hear me say anything bad about him as a player. That guy is brilliant. And I don't want to hear, oh, he's not a leader. That dude's out there. He plays the right way every minute that he's out there. So he he is a leader, in my opinion. I don't care what he says in the locker room or what he does on social media. The guy's a leader, but he also wasn't available enough. So you're you're trading Kevin Durant, who's a brilliant player, for Mikel Bridges, who all he is is available. The guy plays all the time. So if they can hold on to sixth place, the fact that they adjusted on the fly, we're still a playoff team, avoided the play-in, and you have all these assets you know, over the next couple of years, they made out pretty well. I think what they got from Phoenix – they didn't get over the summer from any team. The only the only other team that I heard was close was your Toronto Raptors. They if a deal was going to be made, Toronto was willing to pony up enough where it seemed like the Nets were interested. But I think the Nets said, you know what? His value right now on a grand scale is much lower. He obviously built up his value, and they got what they wanted from the Phoenix Suns. Uh, speaking of the Suns, and this is fun. We're going around the NBA here. I appreciate the knowledge very much and the insight. This is great. Um, do you feel like Kevin? I, I know we haven't seen too much of him because of the injury, but do you feel like he is the right fit over there for them? Oh, 100%. The only thing that worries me, and, and Brian Scalabrini made a good point, because the story was he slipped. He slipped. Well, if you look at the video, hmm. he didn't really slip. As Brian says, his like his muscles didn't activate. His ankle twisted. Mm. which is kind of scary. You know, he's got those long, lean legs. And he you look at his injuries now. When he was in Oklahoma City, he had the Jones fracture on the foot. Unfortunately, he blew out his Achilles in the NBA Finals. Last year, I'm, I might get the knees wrong. I think last year was the left knee. This year is the right knee that he injured. And then he, and then he just hurt his ankle. And he is getting up there in age. When he plays, he's incredible. Come on, go back a couple of years ago when Kyrie went out in first half of game four against Milwaukee, James Harden was on one leg and Kevin Durant still got them to a game seven against the eventual champions. And he hit that late jumper, which if he was an inch behind the line would have been a three, they would have beaten Milwaukee. I think they would have beaten Atlanta and then he would have been in the final. So he nearly carried, and then he went and uh, had two weeks off and went and played for the national team and helped us win the uh, the gold medal. And by us, I know you're a U.S. citizen now, so it is us Appreciate who that. won the whole thing, won the whole thing. But um so he'll he'll be fine. I don't know if them just all getting together at like a moment's notice. It's like they're meeting at the park yeah. and deciding, all right, you guard him, I'll guard him. There's not going to be enough practice time, but they'll be a dangerous team. You got a team of Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and Chris Paul. That's going to be pretty formidable. 
who is the team to beat in the West right now? Because it's fast. I, I feel like you can make a case for like three, four teams. I know. I, I don't know who it is. Like I keep saying I don't have any faith in Golden State, but once the playoffs start, they'll be tough. It would be fun if it would be Denver just because I know Michael Malone really well from what, you know his days with the Knicks. And Jokic has been a terrific player, and Jamal Murray and, and those guys. But I don't know. I, I saw them play against the Brooklyn Nets, and I kept thinking, man, I could see them getting knocked off. It's just going to be whatever team, just like Dallas last year, had a couple of good weeks. Next thing you know, they end up in the conference finals. That could happen this year to whatever team gets hot. Who knows? Maybe even LeBron and uh, Anthony yeah. Davis if they somehow get in. Do, do you feel like they get in ultimately? Uh, well, they're going to get – they'll be in the play-in. Right, what right. worries me about LeBron, I mean, come on, man. The guy's 38 – that that injury that he has is pretty significant. And, you know, who knows? When you get to be that old and look at all – look at not just the minutes and games he's played in the regular season. Look at the games that he's played in, in the playoffs. And when he's yeah. playing in the playoffs, he's going for 40 minutes a night. I mean, the guy has played – it's like two extra seasons just of playoff games. It's amazing that he reached this point in his career, like kind of avoiding – I know he had, you know, the groin, this, that, but like really – He's been pretty damn healthy for the last 20 years, right? Like, it's only now that it feels like his body is breaking down. I know he's waiting for his son. Did you see the the highlights of his son, Duncan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. think he – I mean, I know it's kind of tough, but, like, yeah. he's getting drafted, right? I would think so. I mean, people talk about, like, his size it, uh, could be an issue. One yeah. thing about LeBron getting hurt, remember when the Super Bowl was in New York, which I believe was – that was Denver and Seattle. I'm bad with yeah. the years. Yeah. But you knew that the – the Knicks would play on that Saturday night. That's always like a big thing. Whatever the host city is, if they have an NBA team, they'll play a Saturday night game. So, you know, all the stars will be there. So Miami was in town that night. They're playing the Knicks and LeBron goes up uh, for an alley-oop and J.R. Smith kind of slides into him and LeBron lands like with his legs straight. You know, it looks like that hyperextension and he goes down. And at the time I'm thinking, oh my God, like LeBron's never been hurt. He looks like he's really hurt, and the way that he landed could be dangerous. He actually got up, and they all think, shake it off, shake it off. He got up and started shaking his leg, <laughs> and then he continued playing. I was like, all right, the guy's an absolute freak. He He's the one guy who really, to your right, for as many times as he's jumped, and you know how it works. I mean, look at poor Greg Oden. It's like the first time yeah. he jumped in his NBA career, he was essentially done. Like, think about the times, that the amount of jumps that LeBron has had on those legs, and he still keeps going. It's pretty remarkable. Have we officially reached the end of the road for Damian Lillard in Portland? I yeah. think so. That's this good news it. for, I know people aren't going to like it, you know, as we talk about the Knicks and the Nets, but I would think both those teams would certainly be in play and they have enough assets to maybe get something done. I thought there's a lot to admire about Damian Lillard. The fact that he feels incredible loyalty. Imagine this. He feels incredible loyalty to a city, to an organization. I get it. They're also giving him 50 million, but he does feel that sense of loyalty. He's in, it's impossible not to like the guy. You hear him talk, the way that he conducts himself, the way that he plays, everything about him is great. But I thought he was making a big mistake. And I'll give you a, uh, an example. You know, when Kevin Garnett was the same way when he was in Minnesota, he felt, this is my city. This is my team. They drafted me. He was an MVP also in Minnesota. And they made a conference finals once, just like Damian Lillard did with Portland. He did not want to leave. He felt like, no, no, I got to stay here. He had to be convinced. Listen, the best thing for you at this point in your career is to move on. Not only is it the best thing for you, it's the best thing for the Minnesota Timberwolves for you to move on. And of course, he goes to Boston and his legend only grows. And it and they still love him, obviously, in Minnesota. Damian Lillard is always going to be beloved in Portland. But now for him to move on at the age that he is, and he'd be helping the Portland Trailblazers with the assets that the Knicks have, the assets that the 
uh, Brooklyn Nets have, and that obviously other teams would be involved. I think I think now is the time for Damian Lillard. I think he will be on. Okay, so I get the Nets part. Why, why would the Knicks want him at this point if they have Brunson? Well, I mean, you did want. I, I understand that uh, Donovan Mitchell is slightly bigger. You know, Donovan Mitchell is only six three. Right. It's not like he's you know six foot six. So I don't know. I mean, it's a guard dominated league. Brunson and uh, Damian Lillard in the same backcourt together. I don't know. It would, Who's point guard it would, though? Whoever wants to be. Yeah. Still, <laughs> whoever. It would probably, I think Lillard will have the ball a lot, but it'll work. Hey, Jalen Brunson could be an ensemble player. He could be, uh, you know, a supporting player. He could be a star player. One at Villanova. One, he's made it to a conference finals in Dallas. He, That's the kind of guy you want on your team, no matter who else is on the team. The great PR work that you do for Jalen Brunson and the Brunson family is just tremendous. I enjoy well, it. I, I appreciate I, it. You know what? Yeah, let me be fair. I do, do know both parents really well. I got to yeah. know him when he was in college and he is, there's nothing fake about him. He's a very sweet guy who is sincere about, you know, wanting to be a great player and be a good teammate. That's all. Then none of that is phony. None of it. Can you get him on your show? We haven't asked yet over the summer. I'll talk to, I don't want to, I didn't want to put the kid in a bad spot. So the Nick organization will be like, no, 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 not with that jerk. You're not, you're not going to go on with him. Hey, they didn't have a press conference for him. Which was, you know, and and we sat here on the radio and we destroyed the Knicks for that. I mean, you got a free agent that came to your team. What a great face for the organization. He's a good looking guy. He's going to represent your organization well. He's going to say the right things. And I also thought he had all this stuff about tampering. Let him address it. Mm. Let him sit there and say, yeah, did I talk to my father, who's a Nick assistant coach, about my future? Yes. I'm sure you talked to your parents about your future. Did my father... Does he want me to go to the Knicks? Yes. Was he the reason I went? No. I decide what's best for me. To me, that would have ended the whole thing about tampering. How are you going to prove otherwise? Right. And you know he would have said the right thing. They made a huge mistake. Their silly, pointless war with the media, the fact that it would extend to a point where you're not going to have a press conference for that guy. What did um, uh, Steve Ballmer do when he got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? They had a, they had a pep rally. Right. I mean, if you're the Knicks... Hold the thing outside in the summertime. Let fans show up. I don't care. I mean, do something. It's Jalen Brunson, a guy that wants to play for the Knicks. Why wouldn't you celebrate that? So why didn't they do a press conference? I think it's this petty war with the media, which makes Just, no they, sense. They don't want to give you any they access? Did a thing with, they did a thing with season ticket holders, but make it feel like a big event. Look what St. John's just did with Rick Pitino. Right, right, right. They they hired him. Where do you think they held the press conference? Do you think they held it at a Quista's <laughs> restaurant in on U, on Utopia Parkway in Queens? They went to Madison Square Garden. They went to the the foyer or, you know, whatever they call it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, right in the, the front lobby, and that's where they held the press conference. That's where it should be. They did that for Phil Jackson. Why would you do it for Jalen Brunson? Yeah, very weird. And if I'm Jalen, by the way, I'm a little offended by it all as well. Like, 100%. I, I want the heroes welcome, right? I mean, 100%. Don't hide me from the media. First of all, A, you know the way players are. They're trying to build their brand. He's not going to do the wrong thing. The press conference isn't going to end. You're going to sit back and say, oh, my God, man, that was... That was embarrassing. I can't believe he said that. Hey, come on, man. The guy is pretty polished and he's uh, he's pretty bright. He'll be able to handle it. You'll be impressed with him after a press conference. I'm a little bit worried about the playoffs with the Knicks only because I'm, I'm worried about Julius Randle. I, I still don't fully trust him and his behavior against, uh, you, you know, that yeah. game a few days ago in um, Orlando didn't like that. And I just, I wonder, and I hate this question, but I feel like it's apropos. Should they trade him? 
His stock went all the way back up. I, I honestly yes. didn't think I didn't think he would rebound from the like the f off thing he did to the fans last year. I thought yeah. that was it for him. He's rebounded and he's had a great year. He's the classic no 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 yes 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 yeah. guy. Like he takes the shot against the Heat. I'm like, why are you doing that? Yes, should they trade him in the off season? In your opinion? I mean, uh, to me, I just about every player, with the exception of maybe five to ten guys, are tradable. It all depends on what you can get for him. I don't think that I understand what you're saying. He had the great year when no fans were. Yep. In the arena, then last year he seemed to succumb to the pressure. All you know, when you're the big guy in the Knicks, go call Patrick Ewing and ask him what it's like, you know, to, to be in that position. But he's had a great year, man. He's an All NBA player, and you're right. He's had some great moments. I think emotionally at times, I think he needs to tone it down. He gets a little too upset, and you know, he's lashing out at his teammates, which is silly. But I think I think all that stuff will be in play. Let's face it. You know how it works. How does the season end? Right. If he has a great first round series and make it to the second round that's that's a different story if they have a flame out in the first round but hey you look at the standings now it looked like they were locked in to play cleveland right cleveland could actually jump ahead of philadelphia and it could be philadelphia and the knicks in the first round how intensive a series would that be first of all you got the two coaches who were great friends doc rivers and tom thibodeau the rivalry between philadelphia and new york you'd have Embiid, who could be the mvp by that time harden that would be a pretty interesting series do you think the Knicks regret not making the Mitchell trade? A hundred percent. Well, first of all, I don't I don't know if it was their choice to make, but I don't think they offered everything that they could have. They and, should have blown. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, should they have gone harder? Do you think they regret yeah, it? It sounds like from intel that they got that Cleveland really wasn't involved in it. So that might have been Cleveland. Cleveland did a pretty good job with a poker face, getting the Knicks not to think that they were going to go all in. That dude, like he came to New York last week against Brooklyn on a Tuesday night. He had 31 points and dominated them. Comes into they they played him uh, twice over three days. Two nights later, it looks like the Nets have him under control. He hasn't scored yet in the fourth quarter. Then he comes to life in the last two minutes, and he does that thing where he cheats at the free throw line. We missed the second one. Got into the lane early. Uh, they end up winning the game. He has thirty one points again. So in the two games there, thirty one points, and he would have been dynamic at Madison Square Garden. You would have been undersized with him and uh, Jalen Brunson, but with Mitchell Robinson back there, that's that's what you need. You need a shot block. It works in Cleveland. You got Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, but you got Jared Allen, Evan Mobley. It works. They, I think they're going to regret that one just from this standpoint. Those players don't become available right. very often. And that's why I think if Damian Lillard is available this summer, it'll be very interesting to see how the NBA reacts to it. I think the two New York teams are going to be in. I would think Toronto would be in on something like that. I think Miami, there'll be a lot of teams going after Damian Lillard. My guy Bill Simmons loves to talk about Embiid to the Knicks, and I don't know if he's trying to troll us by doing this, but he seems to think that that's a real thing. Do you think that's a real thing? Well, his first agent was Leon Rose, who was his guy. I'm sure he, and he knows Jalen Brunson. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the fans in Philadelphia, they're, they're love. Can you imagine Joel Embiid going back to Philadelphia twice a year? <laughs> In a oh Knicks, my god! In a Knicks uniform, it's tough enough for uh, Ben Simmons in a net uniform when he's not even playing in the games. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty uh, locked in with Embiid. Okay. Not the craziest thing, but I don't know if that'll happen. Well, if we were talking this time last year, I would have said the Celtics were locked in with uh, Jalen Brown. What the hell's going on over there? What's your take on what's happening between the Celtics and Jalen Brown and Boston, the city of yeah. Boston, and Jalen yeah. Brown? Yeah, you know, the one thing about up there, if you ask Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett about you know boston they're just going to go on and on about how great the city is because they were treated like royalty maybe winning a championship has something to do with that i think jalen brown you know if he becomes a if he's first second or third team all nba that means the max contract is like 50 million more than he can get now so i don't know is he turning down 
50 million more. I think that factors into it. Maybe there's some petty jealousy with him and Jason Tatum because Jason Tatum is seen as the guy. But I, I don't understand when the, sometimes players like that because you're with Jason Tatum and all you're doing is winning. You've been, I think it's four conference finals. Think about how young they are. Four conference finals, one NBA finals already. They have a chance to do great things there. And I don't know. I mean, you're going to go up there with all those great Boston legends. That That's something uh, to say about yourself. Plus, you're going to get paid. So I don't get it. But we've seen this before with players. He's an Atlanta guy. Maybe he wants to go back home to Atlanta. He did go to college for one year at Cal. Maybe he likes the Bay Area. I, I have no idea. But I think... I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up somewhere else. But again, the Celtics can offer the most money, and money still talks. Uh, just a couple more, and then I'll let you go. And I really appreciate the time. Um, the one that the one that I still feel like, from a reporting standpoint, was just really strangely handled was the Ime Udoka situation. Like we have not heard from him. We don't really know what happened. He goes from leading the team to the finals. Now he's out of the league. We think he's going to Brooklyn. He's not going to Brooklyn. Do we ever see this guy back in the NBA? In your opinion? Well, there's already there's already reports out there of uh, two teams, maybe Houston or Toronto. Even though I find that hard to believe they move on from uh, yeah uh, from Nick Nurse, but I was surprised when that story came out. And it's not only a sports story and a salacious story, but it also involves a Hollywood actress. Mm. I was thinking someone's going to do a big story on this. Is it going to be? The Washington Post, the New York Times, New York Magazine. Is it going to be the New Yorker? Is it going to be Rolling Stone? Now, maybe somebody is working on a story like that, but I kind of agree with you. It, it is strange how the story, it, it, you know, all it was were rumors out there and unfair rumors about certain people who might have been involved, which yeah. is terrible. And, and a lot of that stuff ended up not being true. But I, I'm the ball. Well, I mentioned all these other places. I thought maybe what about the Boston Globe or the Boston Herald? It just, I think if this were 10, 20 years ago, as this is odd, right? With everything that's out there now, I think the story would have been reported a lot more in depth, a lot more thoroughly than it is now. Why that isn't happening, I have no idea. Do you think in five or so years, this whole like race to tweet first and get like the transactional news, this guy signed the contract 10 days, this, do you think that's going to go away or do you think we're only going to go deeper into that world and like yeah, less of the I, real I reporting and, and, and more of the, you know, the little niblets? It, it seems like it seems like the fans do like that. But again, to me, a more interesting story would have been like what happened on the loading dock. I mean, I would like to see people put resources into that and really do a deep dive into a story like that. Even the Ime Adoka thing. I mean, that's a guy who was in the finals last year. Yeah. And then he doesn't even make it to uh, the first day of training camp. He was at his uh, head coach that came out of nowhere. I, I think I think those stories, but I don't know that that reporting kind of seems to be gone, as does kind of like the column that gets written about uh, certain guys. I mean, there are fascinating players in the league like LeBron. You know, there was a time when everyone was constantly writing about LeBron. Now they don't. And I, I almost think a little bit of that, especially to be critical of certain guys, I think, you know, they'll come after you. I mean, I wrote a story about, you know, LeBron wanting the Cle Cleveland Cavaliers to go after Carmelo. And I know I got that right. He was, he destroyed me. He called me trash. I became like a, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm not, I always tell people, if I'm going to make up a story, believe me, it'll be more interesting than the story that uh, that is out there. Because it's, if, if I'm going to lose my job over making up a story, I might as well make it a doozy. I have nothing to gain. And remember, too, that has something to do with it. Reporters may know something, and then they start weighing. If I write this, fans are going to destroy me. And when the player denies the story, because the player is not going to say, you know, we got that one right. I got to give it to him. I'll give yeah. you an example. 
a small one. The Knicks, um, around the day after the trade deadline, I got a call from a guy who told me, oh, man, the Knicks almost traded Zach Randolph to Milwaukee. And I had all the players' names in there. And he said, but at the last minute, Herb Cole, who was the owner at the time, told Larry Harris, the general manager, I'm not doing this. It was like at the last, both sides had agreed, but the owner said, we're not doing it. I write the story. Isaiah's murdering the story. People at the Knicks, back then, they all hated me. So oh, he's making it up. It's nonsense. Let, uh, maybe like a few days ago in the season, the Milwaukee Bucks announced that Larry Harris won't be back as GM. They have a press conference. Herb Cole at the press conference says, uh, he says, some of this falls on me. You know, Larry did try to make a trade with the Knicks uh, back in February. And at the last minute, I told him he can't do the trade. Now, Am I allowed to raise my hand and say, are you guys now going to come out publicly and say that I was right and you were wrong? That's never going to happen, nor does anybody remember that. All everyone remembers and kind of wants to remember is that the Knicks came out and said that story is nonsense and he's a jerk and he's making stuff up. I wasn't making it up, but you're at you're at a place where, I mean, you know deep down that you got the story right and you have the owner of the team confirming it basically two months later. But may, a lot of people, I think the younger reporters saying, I get it, man. If you're 26, 27, 28, and you write a story and some big-name player destroys you on social media and you're and you're, you're mentioned, you're getting killed by people, I don't know, maybe you'd be a little gun-shy. I don't think all of them are like that, but I could understand why some would be. When are you going to write again? I miss the writing. I miss the columns. I do, too. I do too. When are we going to get back to it? it? I, I got to talk to some people. Uh, is it in the works? I, I, are you, I, before it's all said and done, will you start writing again? Before what's all and send up my the career. career? Yeah, like are you gonna be one of these lazy TV guys that just no, goes? I want. Starts, I know. I I know. I got. I got to do uh, something. Well, we miss myself it. occupied. Okay. I got to be like you. Nine thousand different jobs. This sport, that sport. That's yeah, right. We're all over the place. Diversify. Uh, two last quick ones. True or false? In the next decade, I mean, we're seeing something with the uh, Washington football team. Daniel Snyder. Will James Dolan sell the Knicks in the next decade? I think. I think true. I think he'll get tired of it. Really? I do. Well, there's been too much there's too much buzz out there about it. I think wow. he I mean obviously he would love to win one. I think he'd love to win one and then tell everyone, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. He said I couldn't win, but I won. I sub I think 5 eventually. years, sub 5 years. Mm, okay, 5 I'm and a half. Greedy. All right, I'm getting greedy. Uh, and last one, 2024. Yep. My Canadian men's basketball team. Are we getting a medal? Oh, I really dear God. I'm so are we, tired of it. It's such on. a joke. It, <laughs> you know, you guys, you beat us in soccer. <laughs> yes, that's right. In the qualifying, what that was, was that, in January of what a win. 22. Which you, now you're more of a soccer nation, right? You're the men's Love and the women's Alfonso team. Davies. You yeah. cannot have the, I don't want to, what I don't understand about the Canadian national team. We got Kevin Durant, who's accomplished all this. He's on one leg. He wants to play in the Olympics. Yet when Preach. it comes to qualifying, this guy doesn't want to play. This guy, I don't understand why they can't rile up the base of I that could, team love the, the, and you. get them to play. Right? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All you you have to admit on paper, it's a fantastic group of young players. Right? Okay. Let me tell you something. If we could get U.S. Canada in a knockout or a medal round game, come on now, man. It would be huge. all those NBA players. I don't great. know why they don't commit. I don't know what it is. All these I guys, like it. RJ plays because his dad's on the team. But like, I know Jamal was injured last time. But are all these guys going to play? Like, all the is Shea Gilgis Alexander going to play? He should, Car- you know, look at w- what happened with the U.S. I was I was there in Greece in '04 when they lost to yeah, yeah. Uh, they lost to Puerto Rico, Lithuania, and Argentina. And at the gold medal game between Italy and uh, Argentina, David Stern held a press conference and absolutely destroyed poor Larry Brown, killed him. Right. About it was 
I mean, it's like the NBA like never stops. Like here yeah. we are in Greece in the summer, <laughs> and we got the the Commissioner League murdering one of the coaches. Um, so after that happened, that's when Jerry Colangelo comes on board and he gets guys like LeBron, Carmelo Anthony. They all want to do it. It was at the time, it's the best players in the league all want to play for the national team. Why aren't the best players Canadian? Players? I don't know. Why do they want to play in the Olympics? It makes no sense. It drives you me nuts. Okay, I lied. I lied. Do you have a David Stern story? Did he ever? Did he ever? Did he ever chew you out? I mean, I, I heard he. So, he's... David Stern, two times he got me really good. I always used to mention something about Brooklyn. I always used to say all the greats are born in Brooklyn, connected with the NBA. Me, David Stern, and uh, Michael Jordan. Okay. Right? We're in Paris with the Knicks. And we're sitting there, he turns to me, he goes, oh, by the way, he goes, I'm from Manhattan, I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> Out of nowhere. I mean, I must have, I wasn't on the air at the time. I must have written right. it a couple of times. But the Knicks are going to be in the lottery for the first time in a long time. So, of course, let's have some fun with it. Could this be the year that they get the number one pick? So I did a story about the number one pick and the whole thing with Patrick Ewing and the whole frozen envelope there. I was trying to have some fun with it. So I'm on the phone with David Stern. And I'm asking him about that day. And he's talking about it. I said, you know, all the theory, God, the theories are crazy. So I keep asking him about it and asking about it. He finally says, he said, Frank, do me a favor. Stop asking me whether or not I committed a felony. Is that okay with you? <laughs> he said it where I'm in my car. I'm pulled over, listen, talking to him on the phone. And I was so intimidated. It was like he was standing in front of me in his office. Oh you know, he God. was, uh, he could be. An intimidating guy, but he was a good friend of the media. I will say that he, you know, he understood the media's role. He understood that the media, the old time guys, whether that's uh, Bob Ryan, Peter Vesey, and those guys, when no one was really paying attention to the NBA, really helped build the league. So he had a soft spot in his heart for the, the us idiots in the newspaper business. This has been lovely. Thank you so much for all the time. I appreciate it very much. It was totally worth having to go through the uh, three <laughs> levels of uh, PR to get to you. Uh, your work is fantastic. I say this to you all the time. I love listening to the show every day. You guys set the tone for the league, for the day, for the the news of last night, you and Scalabrini. So much respect to you guys. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you on now on my show, on my basketball show. And I told you I'm yeah. coming for you guys. I mean, I need a couple of years, but I will be coming for you. For now, though, Enjoy the the spot and uh, keep up all the great work, honestly. And and I love as you know as a guy who loves journalism, I just love how you tell it like it is. So much yeah. respect, Ariel. I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan of yours. Send my best to your family. It's been a thrill. Obviously, this will be successful. I can't believe you're having me on this early. I figured you'd wait like, no? much further down the road, but I, I appreciate that. Thank you, Frank. Take care. All right, how great was that? Frank is the man. I enjoy listening to him so very much. I enjoy talking to him so very much. I hope he gets back to writing as well. He's just a great mind when it comes to all things basketball, soccer as well. But, um, you know, he's here to talk a little basketball. And like I said, what I love so much about him is that he tells it like it is. Straight shooter isn't afraid to piss anyone off. Is just the real deal. And so if you want to hear more from him, go check out the starting lineup on SiriusXM NBA Radio. Check out his stuff on uh, the Yes broadcast for the Brooklyn Nets. And also, you know, he, he shows up on PTI. He shows up on Around the Horn. The guy is everywhere, and rightfully so. Well-deserved. He's a fantastic mind when it comes to all things sports, basketball in particular, and a fantastic guest. I really, really enjoyed having him on. Hope you enjoyed the episode as well. Again, please continue to rate, download, follow, comment, review. These things go a long way. They matter. 
and we appreciate you doing so very, very much. Been loving doing this show. I can't wait to present you next week's guest. I'm very, very excited about next week's guest, but we'll have to keep that one under our hat until next week. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Frank Izola, very much for being a fantastic guest. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.